to part two of our sex ed series on dyspareunia, vaginismus, and vulvodynia with Dr. Anita Elias, a medical practitioner and psychotherapist. In the last episode, we learnt about common causes of painful sex and the symptoms and signs we should be looking out for. This episode focuses on vaginismus and vulvodynia. We hope you enjoy. And as a warning to listeners, there is a brief mention of sexual abuse in this episode. To start off with, some of the causes you've covered we tend to learn more about in medical school, but I think vulvodynia, vaginismus and vestibulodynia we've heard of, but we don't get taught much about them. So is it possible for you to briefly explain them and tell us how they present? Absolutely. So the so vestibulodynia is a subset of vulvodynia, just so that you know that. Okay. Um, vulvodynia, yeah, so vulvodynia... Um, well, dynia means pain and, and it's about the vulva. So what it is, is actually a chronic pain um, syndrome. The definition means that, you know, that, that um, the pain needs to be there for at least um, three months in the absence of any of those other conditions that I mentioned before. So... It may happen due to um, chronic candidiasis or chronic thrush, but we've got to then, you know, treat the the thrush, make sure that has resolved, and if there is still pain there, then, you know, that is chronic pain. And um, so the the way we can differentiate with, with that is both on history and on examination. So with vulvodynia, um, usually there is pain at the introitus, at the entrance to the vagina, um, or it could actually be anywhere. It could be a subset is clitoridynia, so you can have pain at the clitoris, for instance. You can have pain anywhere there, and it can be painful um, with touch and that's called so vestibulodynia is pain at the vestibule so it's a subset of vulvodynia provoked vestibulodynia or pvd which is the most common type we see is that it's painful when there is touch at the entrance so with vulvodynia it can be provoked or unprovoked provoked is it hurts with touch unprovoked means it just hurts all the time. Um, and it can be localised to just one area or it can be more generalised. So that's, um, that's vulvodynia. So it's a, like a neuropathic pain. It's a chronic pain syndrome. Okay. Now, vaginismus. Um, so if we think about the word vaginismus, um, then ismus means spasm. And vaginismus implies that it's a spasm of the vagina. But that's actually not the case. The vagina is doesn't have much skeletal muscle in it. It's got smooth muscle. It's a, just a, a stretchy tube. I kind of think about it kind of like a balloon that when it's empty, it's closed. When something goes in, it stretches up. So it isn't about the vagina itself, even though it's called vaginismus. It's actually about the um, pelvic floor that wraps around the vagina that can 
either have a high resting tone and be tight, or it can in fact go into spasm um, and have an involuntary. So it's about involuntary contraction of the pelvic floor muscles that can lead to pain. But the other thing about vaginismus is, so that's what's happening physically that's contributing to the pain is an involuntary muscle contraction of the pelvic floor. But vaginismus is a condition where women often have a lot of fear about something uh, going into the vagina. Uh, people have a lot of fear about it. And so um, there can be the anxiety uh, about the fear. There can be um, anticipating pain and they all can contribute to, to it. Uh, so with, with all dyspareunia, it's very important to be looking at what's happening physically, but also what's happening mentally and emotionally, for instance, you know, with the fear component. The other thing about vaginismus that is that it might present with painful sex, but it can also present with an inability to have anything going into the vagina. So that includes sexually, but it also can be, you know, using a tampon, it can be digital um, insertion, it can be uh, examination in a medical setting. Um, so sometimes, and as well as intercourse is not possible. So um, it can present by that inability to have anything go into the vagina. So if it's mild vaginismus, it can lead to just discomfort with sex. If it's a bit more severe, it can lead to pain or a lot of pain. And if it's even more severe, it can lead to nothing being able to go into the vagina. Um, when that's the case, then either patients or their partners might think that, you know, or especially the partner might think that, that they don't want to have anything go into the vagina but that's absolutely not the case and it's important to recognize that the person wants to be able to have something go into the vagina but are just not able to. Mm. And, and this also seems like it, it might be an issue where women may not be able to get a cervical screening test um, if you're saying that examination is also difficult for these women. Absolutely, and that was especially true in the days of pap smears um, where, you know, doctors had to use um, speculums to, to do it, a pap smear properly. But these days, actually, we're lucky because women can do self-testing, mm -hmm. just inserting a, a cotton swab into the vagina themselves. And some women with vaginismus may not be able to do that, but others are quite comfortable to do that themselves. So uh, that's actually a really good thing now. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is good. Um, okay. So how are vulvodynia and vaginismus managed? Okay. So that's a really big question, yeah. as, as all of these questions are. Um, the first and most important thing is to... Um, look at all the factors that are contributing to this because even though they're two words and two conditions really as I said before anything and everything can contribute to them so we need to know what's going on as I said medically 
and emotionally and what's happening in the person's life and their relationship and you know all of those sorts of things and so if we take um vaginismus first if we deal with that i guess we can look at um helping the woman first of all she's got to even just making the diagnosis can be you know very useful because a lot of my patients really especially if they've gone to the doctor and been told that there's nothing wrong with you because the doctor may not know about these conditions and unfortunately that still happens they might be told there's nothing wrong with you and then of course they think you know they feel even worse about themselves than they did before so even making the diagnosis is very helpful and then letting them know this is a very very common problem so normalizing it saying that in fact australia wide research shows that one in five um women have painful sex you know so actually letting them know that they're not the only one in the world with this problem um that it's common and that it's treatable so they're the first steps they're the most important steps i think to start with um helping people join the dots so for you know with vaginismus it really does make a difference whether it's primary or secondary vaginismus so with primary vaginismus there may have been a lot of fears and worries right from the very beginning about being sexually active and those fears need to be addressed perhaps you know i still see a lot of people who've been brought up from cultures where there's a lot of sexual taboos so um sex is not okay to talk about or to do you know they may have had no sex education um they may have been brought up that sex outside of marriage is very wrong and um so those sort and yet you know they could be caught between cultures and still be wanting to be sexually active but have this conflict internal conflict so um of course we've got to mention the fact that um you know sexual abuse including childhood sexual abuse is very common so that can be one of the predisposing causes of um of vaginismus uh although it doesn't you know there are many many other causes so just because somebody's got that problem doesn't mean they have had sexual abuse in the past i i've had patients who've said oh my doctor said because you can't have sex you must have been sexually abused that's absolutely not the case mm-hmm. um but it's important to think about and and give the person the opportunity to talk about that and so all of those underlying things need to be addressed um if um the person has an anxiety um generalized anxiety disorder or specific um phobias around sexuality or about their body that's important to address um and just some good education getting getting the person in touch with their genitals getting them to know about themselves you know so many um of my patients have not ever thought of looking at themselves in the mirror or let alone you know maybe even touching themselves or even if they do externally not touching themselves internally so fear of the unknown is is a very common human condition and um so 
education about their bodies. And, and there can be a lot of worries about the vagina, which can lead to primary vaginismus, such as sort of misconceptions that the vagina is um, too small or too fragile or very solid and stiff and so won't stretch up or that there is a structural abnormality. There can be a lot of specific fears around the vagina. You know, whereas people with penises, pretty much from the time they're born, they're looking at their penises, touching their penises, they become very familiar and comfortable with their penises mostly. But those of us with vaginas, you know, the vagina is an internal organ. We don't know about it. So a lot of education and connection, getting to know, you know, help encouraging the person to get to know their, their body, their, their genitals, etc is a, also an important first step. And then um, also learning about their pelvic floor muscle. And I work a lot with specific specialised um, pelvic floor physiotherapists who, um, so referring to physiotherapists can be very helpful. And they, you know, we can do it as well. We can teach our patients about their pelvic floor and how to control um, uh, the pelvic floor. We these days hear a lot about you know how important it is to have a strong pelvic floor, and every you know so many people are doing Pilates. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's true, we do need to have a strong pelvic floor. But the problem with vaginismus is the opposite. They it's about actually learning how to sort of relax and release the pelvic floor to allow something to go into the vagina. So we still need it to be strong enough to keep us continent. Mm -hmm but we also need to be able to relax our pelvic floor in order to um, allow something to go inside our vagina when we want it to. So in managing um, the vaginismus, we need to look at both what's happening physically and you know, help women to learn how to, to um, connect with, relax and release their pelvic floor. And then we also need to look at what's happening, you know, emotionally um, and, you know, are they feeling, um, you know, are they, and, and there are a number of words that I, that are very key factors in my mind that I spend a lot of time talking to patients about. Okay, so, you know, the management of, of vaginismus is there are physical things we need to do with the pelvic floor but as I've said all along you know you can't and as I absolutely believe you can't separate the mind and the body generally but especially when it comes to sex so I also talk to my patients about the mind-body connection about how important it is to know to think about you know how you're thinking about sex and how you're feeling about it. And there are some specific things that are very, very important that I talk to them about. One is how free do they feel to be sexual or to not be sexual and to say no to sex if they don't want to do it and to say no to doing anything that hurts. That's really, really important. Um, how safe do they feel? And that's where the fears come in. So we want to know about, you know, are there any of those fears and worries that we need to address so that they do feel safe? Because if they don't feel safe, then they, you know, they're going to get anxious. And being anxious, one of the things that happens when we get anxious is that 
our muscles tighten up generally in our body and you know any if those anxieties are not addressed then they'll be tense and their pelvic floor muscle will tense up as well so we need to address any of the anxieties that they've got that are related to this and then the other thing so we want to know are they feeling free to be sexual in the way they want to are they feeling safe and that's the word i use meaning safe from their worries and fears to what extent are they able to feel relaxed during sex that's very important so that you know you can't relax your pelvic floor when you're feeling really tense um, and also how turned on are they and at the very beginning i talked about lack of arousal being a cause of um, dyspareunia and that's true for everybody including people with vaginismus so we need to look at you know are they are they turned on as well and we talk a lot about that as well okay so with vulvodynia all of the above applies as well it's very unusual for someone to have vulvodynia and not also have pelvic floor you know tightness because if it hurts to touch at the entrance it's natural that the pelvic floor is automatically you know going to um, tighten up as well so um, everything I've said so far applies to vulvodynia but because it's a chronic pain um, and this is where um, you know I do a lot of work with with people talking about the neuroscience around chronic pain and sort of knowing about and this is where fears come in as well because um, and I don't know how much your listeners have been exposed to neuroscience around chronic pain and the role that the brain plays in that. So we need to, you know, talk about the about all of that. But more specifically, because vulvodynia is caused by both peripheral and central sensitization. Okay. Um, I guess I didn't talk about that before when I talked about vulvodynia, but um, Peripheral sensitization means that the peripheral nerves at the introitus, um, in a way, are more, we call it more sensitive. They fire more often with touch. And central sensitization is about when those signals fire off and get relayed via the spinal cord and up to the brain, the brain is assessing those signals and basically if they feel that um, there is danger, they put out pain signals. That's kind of, you know, pain neuroscience in a <laughs> three-second definition of something that really is much more complex. But so because vulvodynia is caused by peripheral and central sensitization, we need to address those things. We address the peripheral sensitization by doing local desensitization, and that is getting the person to get used to local touch at the at the entrance or wherever the pain is, touching lightly, recognising that even though it hurts, there's no damage happening, that they're safe, um, and getting used to that. And, and what generally happens is if you touch, then it can be very painful for these people at the start. And if you keep the light pressure there for a little while, the pain can gradually ease off. And then that has to be repeated regularly. So, so I mean, there's more to it, but that's a very brief overview. So peripheral desensitization is important. 
If that's not enough, the next level of treatment is using some topical treatment. And there are um, topical creams that we can use. And the most common one is using um, topical amitriptyline that can be useful to apply to do desensitization with. If topical treatments are not working, and there are some others as well, if topical treatments aren't working, then sometimes um, systemic or oral medication that can be used, and it's using things that are used for chronic pain, and that can be tricyclic antidepressants like amitriptyline in very, very low and then gradually increasing doses, but it can also be other um, agents such as Lyrica gabapentin that are used for chronic pain generally. And then for both vulvodynia, vaginism, or any other cause of dyspareunia, it's really important to address the fallout that might be happening in terms of any relationship factors that are being impacted. And I often see patients um, with their partners, so we can talk about all of this together to make sure they're on the same page and can help each other work through this. So that's very important for any cause of dyspareunia. Okay, thank you very much. Um, so it, it sounds like um, after you've been managing patients for a while, um, they slowly um, are improving with their symptoms. Is, is the end um, goal for them to be able to be uh, pain-free um, with their daily living and also through sex? And is this always achievable? It is absolutely the goal. Sex should never hurt. So it's definitely the goal we always aim for. Is it always... It is, these are treatable conditions. Sometimes they're not easily treatable and sometimes depending on if there are a lot of long-standing underlying causes, you know, psychogenic causes that are contributing to this, the fears and the worries, and also whether the condition such as vaginismus has been happening for a long time. You know, when it's been going on for a long time, sometimes it can take a long time to, to resolve because... You know, it's like the pelvic floor's got a mind of its own and it's, you know, learnt that. So it can take longer to unlearn the sort of automatic tightness, contraction that it does. Um, so I think, you know, sometimes it really depends on the person and their willingness and desire to keep at it. So sometimes it's very straightforward and it's treated more quickly. Sometimes it is. It does take a you know long term therapy and everything in between. So it's about whether the person is willing to put in the time and the energy um, to doing whatever needs to be done to address all the issues. Okay, thank you. That's very promising. <laughs> I think you know. I think it's important that everyone knows that, and I do this in the first session. You know that it's treatable, and it's so it's so important to empower people and give them hope. And no, this is something that we absolutely don't expect them to live with, mm. and they shouldn't. So uh, just to take a broader look at dyspareunia, um, which patients that present with dyspareunia should be referred and who should we refer them to? Well, it depends on um, in what context you're seeing them. So basically the, the simple question is, you know, if you feel out of your depth and you're not able to manage it, then you should refer. 
for whatever reason, and that's completely fine. Um, I think a first port of call is, the best first port of call is a GP because they um, can look for, you know, so many of the causes of dyspareunia and treat most of them. Uh, if there's any worries about gynaecological issues uh, such as endometriosis or other uh, pelvic problems, then a um, gynaecologist uh, is important. I've talked about the very important role that physiotherapists can play. Um, sometimes if I'm worried about the skin um, conditions and I'm not sure, then I'll refer to vulval dermatologists. And it's important to know that of there are dermatologists who specialise with vulval conditions and they can be very, very helpful. Um, if there are issues around uh, sex itself and, you know, issues around sexuality um, and being comfortable with sexuality and, you know, that can be sort of very broad and arousal, libido, all those other issues that play a part in this, then, you know, sex therapists or sexologists can be helpful. And, you know, sex can have a huge impact on relationships and relationships have a huge impact on sex. So sometimes it is really primarily a relationship issue um, that's impacting on sex. And then it can be helpful to refer to relationship therapists as well, couple therapists. Um, and then, of course, there are all, um, you know, if there's anxiety or depression or other aspects that are having an impact, then psychologists, you know, psychotherapists, psychiatrists, etc., uh, are so important. It might be helpful to get involved. And and also, of course, there are some practitioners like myself who are sexual medicine um, specialists. Um, you know, and there are um, the two public clinics, mm -hmm. um, both at Monash and at the Women's, that specifically deal with sexual difficulties. So referring to those and we take you know, a broad look. Um, and uh, as well as, as, um, as, well as um, clinics, public clinics that are um, called vulval clinics where they look at vulval um, conditions, including vulval dermatological conditions as well as uh, vulvodynia. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I hadn't heard of those um, kind of some of those specialists, so it's good to know that we we have um, lots of people to refer to. Um, yeah. Do you have guidance about how we can give these patients the best possible experience when seeing a clinician for these issues? Well, I guess if I was to summarise, you know, a lot of the things I've already said, the first important thing is to have it on your radar, to feel comfortable and to ask, because if you don't ask, it doesn't even get to, you know, they don't even get the opportunity to talk about it. And then if they do have an issue, then absolutely normalise it, let them know how common it is and validate it and validate the importance of addressing it. Um, as a legitimate real problem, just like any other medical condition. Uh, hopefully, for everyone listening, it, it goes without saying to be, you know, respectful, mm -hmm. caring, um, develop rapport, be interested and listen. You know, the clues, I keep going back to Sherlock Holmes, but people present you with clues. So if you're listening and bearing in mind that anything and everything can have an impact in sex, on sex, then that's important. And then the whole other area is about examination. 
and for every person that we're examining, you know, we we really should be very mindful of how they're feeling about the examination. We need to explain what we're going to do. We have to empower them, let them know they're in control. We're not going to do anything that they feel uncomfortable with, you know, that we're going to take it very gently, gradually, step by step. So the examination is also um, a, a really huge part of this. And um, particularly with people with sexual pain, vaginismus, etc., there's a lot of fear around um, gynecological examination. So we've got to be very mindful of that. No gynecological examination warrants traumatising or re-traumatising a person for, and unfortunately I have too many um, patients who have been traumatised by gyne examinations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, short of worrying about life and death situations, bleeding, etc., you know, in terms of doing a gyne examination, it has to be really only when the person is ready and feels comfortable with that. And that let them know that we can stop at any time if they want to. So finally, you know, as I said just before, offering hope, which is realistic, that, you know, dyspareunia is treatable and it's just a matter of finding, you know, the right person to, to help them with it and hanging in there. Well, thank you. Um, and on that note, um, I think we'll finish up for today. Thank you very much for speaking with me. Um, I, I think we've learned a lot today that will hopefully um, better equip us um, when we see patients who are presenting with dyspareunia in the future. You're very welcome and thank you for inviting me.